Father, I just ask that as we now take time to look into your word, that you would work in our hearts, challenge us, change us, conform us to the character of your Son, Jesus Christ. I pray, Father, that distractions in our lives, maybe some that have happened during this service already, that would eat at us and that would cause us to to lose our focus. I pray that those would be put away, Father, and that you would just help us to sharpen the attention that we have, that we need to have on your Son through your Word, and may your Spirit speak to our hearts. We love you this morning, Father, and we lift our lives in worship. Take joy, my King, what you hear right now and may it be a sweet sweet sound in your ear and we pray these things in Jesus precious name and for his sake amen take your Bibles please and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13 this morning 1 Corinthians chapter 13 many of you are familiar with this passage of scripture It is called the great love chapter. Many times we will address it during weddings, during special occasions when we want to focus on our relationship with each other, a relationship that needs to be in love. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, are you there this morning? You follow along in your copy of the scriptures, please. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so that I can remove mountains, but have not love, I'm nothing. If I give away all that I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then... Face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, love abide. These three. But the greatest of these is love. As we grow together, we need to recognize that one of the ways we are to grow is to grow in love. 
Jesus said, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. And it is love that is the foundation of our relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ. Now, if you want clear, unvarnished truth, you talk to children. You know, it's amazing what the Sunday school teachers who teach the children know about the parents. And they have this understanding without any censure, without any thought about whether it's appropriate or not appropriate. Little kids just kind of blurt it out, don't they? So when I was looking for a definition of love, I thought I'd turn to the little kids. What do they have to say? Regina, who's age 10, says this. Now, these are not our little kids, all right? Calvary Baptist Church children are much above this. (laughs) Regina, age 10, says, I'm not rushing into being in love. I'm finding fourth grade is hard enough. Glenn, who's age seven, says, if falling in love is anything like learning how to spell, I don't want to do it. It takes too long. Greg, who's eight, tells us this. Love is the most important thing in the world. But baseball's pretty important, too. Jill, age six. I'm in favor of love as long as it doesn't happen when Mickey Mouse is on television. Floyd, age nine, says, love is foolish, but I still might try it sometime. Dave, age eight, love will find you even if you're trying to hide from it. I have been trying to hide from it since I was five, but the girls keep finding me. (laughs) And I like this, John, age nine, says, Love is like an avalanche, an avalanche. You need to run from it for your life. (laughs) So what is love? I learned something this past week. The Greeks have four, not three words for love. And each of them gives to us a little different definition. The first word that the Greeks have for love is storge. It has the idea of an affection, like a dog or cat. I I was drinking a bottle of water this this past week. And on the back of it, it says, love our water? If you do, you can order it online. That's storge kind of love. I love pizza. I love chocolate. That's storge. Eris is another word that is used in the Greek for love, and it is a physical love. We get our word erotic from that word. Now, there are two words that are used in the New Testament for love. One is paleo, a brotherly love, a love that comes as a bond that one has for another, but it really is is almost a love that I love you because you love me kind of thing. It's a reciprocal kind of love. Our city, Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. Now, you can find this in Matthew chapter 10, verse 37, where where Jesus says this to the 12 before they're being sent out. He said, he who loves, phileo, 
father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves phileo, son or daughter more than me, is not worthy of me. Phileo, a brotherly love. And the other word for love that's used in the New Testament And many think that this was a word that was developed by Christians because they needed a very intimate kind of love when they described God's love, is agape. This is the word that's used in John 3.16, for God so loved that he gave his only begotten son. This is the word that's used in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, but God demonstrated his love, agape. Toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And this is the word that is used in our scripture passage today, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Now, you may have a Bible that translates the word love, charity. I want you to understand that that word charity or love is agape. It is a very self-sacrificing, self-giving putting myself in the backseat kind of love. And it's a love that you and I need to have for each other. I quoted John chapter 13. A new commandment I give unto you that you love one another as I have loved you. That, that's agape. Now, this is not an easy kind of love. You and I get distracted by all kinds of things. But this is a kind of love that recognizes there's something more important than you. There's something more important than me. And that which is more important is to show the kind of self-sacrificing, self-giving, always putting other first kind of love that God showed to us. Right? Here in his love, not that we love God, but that he loved us. And he sent his son to be the satisfaction, propitiation is the word, satisfaction for our sins. Now, as we look into this passage of scripture, we understand some things about love. And it all starts with gongs and cymbals. Oh, one more time, Cody. I just wanted the gong. Forget it. All right. (laughs) Gongs and cymbals. Now, when Cody played that for me the first time this morning, it was really irritating. It wasn't near that crisp and clear. He must have played it about six or eight decibels louder. But, but gongs and cymbals are just noisemakers in our lives. And in the first three verses of this passage of Scripture, Paul talks about gongs and cymbals. <laughs> Love it. Now, I want you to notice something in these first three verses. I want you to notice some phrases. I want you to notice, if I, but have not. All right? Notice those two phrases. They're used over and over in these three verses. Here we go. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong. Thought I'd give him another shot at it. Or a clanging cymbal. 
And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Five times, if I, three times, but have not love. Now, there are four topics that are addressed here in this passage of Scripture. The first ones are talk, right? If I speak of the tongue of men and of angels, if I can say something that is just, you ever hear anybody that just soothes? I mean, he puts you to sleep kind of, to, I know I have that effect on some of you. But our talk needs to be seasoned with grace and with love. Because we can have all of the words in the world, we can have all of the language in the world, we can say it all right, but if it's not said in love, we're simply making noise. The second area that it's talked about is how we think. Notice, and if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, if I'm thinking correctly, if I can pull things apart and put them back together because of my understanding, if I know what I ought to be doing, but I have not love, I'm not much. There's a third area that we need to look at, and that's our trust, faith. Did you notice that? The end of verse 2, and if I have all faith so that I could remove mountains. You remember how much faith Jesus said was needed to remove mountains? Remember a mustard seed? If I had enough faith to remove mountains, that's a good thing, right? But if I don't have love, it doesn't amount to a molehill. Mountains and molehills, right? I can remove mountains. Great, wonderful. That's good stuff. But without love. It isn't worth the trouble. And lastly, it's our motives. Verse 3, if I give away all I have, that's a lot. If I deliver my body up to be burned, wow, that's something, isn't it? But have not love. I gain so as we work our, through, our way through our talk and our thinking process and our trust and our true motives, love must undergird it all. Whatever it is, if we're not doing with it in love, it, it's, it's meaningless. No matter what's taking place in, in our Gongs and symbols. So then what are the qualities of love? Verse 4. Real love is 
patient and kind. Real love suffers long. Real love recognizes that it is not just for a moment and then ceases. Real love is patient and kind. Real love does not envy or boast. Real love doesn't put me first. Look how good I am. Look what I'm doing. Look what's happening in my life. That's not love. Real love is not arrogant or rude. Yeah. Real love doesn't run over top of people. Real love is all about others. Let's go on. Real love does not insist on its own way. It's not selfish. King James word, unseemingly. You know, I can get pretty selfish in my life. I like what I like, and I like what I like, that I like what I like. Because it's what I like. That's not love. Love puts the other person's best interest at heart. Uh, can I run a rabbit trail here real quick? Philippians chapter 2. Turn over there, will you please? Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, there's... Jim Momire would say, Gentiles eat pork chops. Yes. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. Chapter 2, are you there? So if there is any encouragement in Christ, verse 1, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy... Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love. Being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests. Now stop right there. The apostle figures we're going to look at our own interests. I mean, that's a given, right? But he says, don't look only unto your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Having this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, and then it gives us the great example of Christ. You see, true love does not insist on its own way. Back to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, please. True love is not irritable or resentful. It doesn't keep track of wrongdoings. Jonathan Swift, who was the author of Gulliver's Travels, said this, 
we have just enough religion to make us hate, but not enough to make us love one another. How irritable do we get? Newer translations would use the word suspicious. Love never trusts. Verse 6, does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Did you ever mess up? Did you ever mess up in front of somebody who you're supposed to love? Did you keep track of that? We do that all the time, don't we? We, we do what I call gunny sack. We, we take these little insignificant issues and we, we put them in our gunny sack. And we carry them around all the time. Do you know the problem with that? It gets heavy. And sooner or later, we have to unload that gunny sack. And we usually do it in the presence of the person that we love. And now they're ducking and weaving and wondering, where in the world did that come from? Love does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. You see, real love is a reflection of the fruit of the Spirit, is it not? Love, joy, peace. Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Isn't that real love? And that is the fruit that is to come from our lives as a result of the Holy Spirit living in our lives and working out His character through His Word to honor and glorify the Son so that God would receive the glory. I mean, that's what it's all about. That's true love. We could define true love with two words, grace and mercy. Right? Grace. Grace is giving what is undeserved. Mercy. Not giving what is deserved. That's real love. But the apostle continues by saying this love needs to be ongoing. This, this love is just not temporary. This is, this is love for the long haul. Verse 7, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Verse 8, love never ends. Now, there's some things that end. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. Now, if you read the book of Acts, you discover pretty quickly, Acts chapter 2, that tongues were an evidence that the Holy Spirit of God had come. They were all gathered in Jerusalem that day of Pentecost. Peter gets up and preaches, right? And the people who were there from all over the world heard what Peter was saying in their native tongue. 
real languages to communicate truth. Acts chapter 2. Now, who was in Jerusalem? The Jews. In Acts chapter 10, you discover another time when tongues are used, and that is in the presence of a Gentile audience. And they're asked about the Holy Spirit, and they say, we didn't even know about the Holy Spirit, never heard about him, tell us about him. And tongues are used to validate the fact that the Holy Spirit had come. That was Gentiles. In Acts chapter 19, you have the third and final time in the book of Acts where tongues are used. And that was a multitude of Jews and Gentiles gathered together again to confirm the fact that the Holy Spirit had come. You move then into the church age, and all of a sudden you discover the Holy Spirit inside the believer, right? 1 Corinthians 6, our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit of God. I believe tongues ceased when there was a recognition that the Holy Spirit of God had come. Now, could God use tongues today? Yeah, he could. In fact, as you move into 1 Corinthians chapter 14, Paul says, all right, if you're going to speak in tongues, now remember that Corinth was a carnal church. That's not how we want to pattern ministry, Right? But he says, if you're going to speak in tongues, this is what has to happen. One, at the most two, you have to have an interpreter. But it's better that people would hear in a known language so they could understand truth than have some confusion in an unknown language. Tongues ceased. Prophecies. Prophecies carried away. All of the prophecies that need to be fulfilled have been fulfilled. The next prophecy that needs to be fulfilled is the coming of Jesus Christ. Amen? We don't need them anymore. We got all we need. And then knowledge. Where do we get our knowledge? The B-I-B-L-E. Just exploded. That's all right, I don't need any of that stuff. Yes, that's the book for me, right? I stand, what's the next word? Alone on the word of God, the B-I-B-L, right? That's all the knowledge we need. But I want you to note something. Back to verse 7. Love bears all things. Love believes all things. Love hopes all things. Love endures all things. Love never gives up. It bears all things. The Greek word has the idea of covered with silence. Love believes all. Love never loses hope. Hopes all things. Love never loses confidence. And love endures all things. Love never has had enough. It perseveres. And then it says, love never ends the first part of verse 8, right? 
Love enables us to endure everything. It enables us in every circumstance to keep on believing, to keep our confidence in God, and to remain patient no matter what happens to us. Verse 9, for we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. Now there's a lot of discussion about what this perfect stuff is. Some people believe that it is the canonization of the New Testament. That means that we have the completed canon of Scripture. And all the revelation we need has been given to us. And I believe that's true, don't you? And that may well be when that which is perfect is come. We, we don't know. Now, other people believe that this is the return of Jesus Christ. And when we will see him, we will be like him, for we will see him as he is. And that may be. But what it tells us for sure is that we're not all that we one day will be. Something else has to happen. You and I are still growing. We're growing in love, right? And you and I need to keep pursuing this quality in our lives because none of us have arrived yet. That which is perfect is come. Let's move quickly. Verse 11. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. Stop right there. You know there's a huge difference between children's love and adult, mature love. A couple of weeks ago, we had our two-year-old grandson with us. His name is Parker. Parker is a great kid. Parker does well. But one night he had a meltdown. I mean a meltdown. He had not had his nap, and he was not happy. And there was absolutely nothing in our house that would make him happy. He wanted his mommy, and he wanted her right now, and she was in Florida. There was absolutely no reasoning with him. There was absolutely no understanding on his part. There was absolutely nothing that would appease what was going on in his life. You know what Connie did? She said, I love this, and she just held him. You know what I did? I left the room. <laughs> huh? Now, that was rather childish of me, right? <laughs> I see some of you guys going, no, no, that's what I'd have done. <laughs> but I, I'm telling you, and you know it because you've seen it in your life. Children handle things differently than adults, right? And children, when they've had enough, they've had enough, and they don't care. Paul here addresses that. He says, when I was a child, things were different. But when I became a man, I gave up childish ways. Childish ways. 
that is talking about maturity in our life. See, selfishness is childishness. Maturity, others first, is love. And it takes a real adult to understand that, right? Keep your finger here in 1 Corinthians 13 and turn over with me to 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4. This growth process that needs to take place in our lives is a continual process. 1 Peter chapter 4, please. Let me begin with verse 7. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, all right, every time there's a therefore, you look to see what it's, all right. The end is at hand. Jesus is coming again. It's going to happen. Therefore, be self-controlled. Be under control and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly. Why? Because Jesus is coming back. And I do not want to put myself in a position where I find myself unloving when Jesus returns. Amen? Keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Now, I love people. I really do. But there are times that people get upset with me. There are things that I miss in life. I was talking to Dave Ross this this morning. I I had heard just yesterday that, that Kathy Mack had had surgery. I missed that. I don't know if Kathy's upset with me or not. I've had people upset with me because I missed surgeries or missed visitation or missed something important in their, their lives. Confession's good for the soul. Jill Boheis, where's Jill? Jill, are you in here? She's in the nursery. Jill, if you're hearing me, I hope you love me. Monday, I had the responsibility of holding the service for Jill Boheis's mom's cousin. I had checked, and I had checked, and I had checked, and in my mind, the memorial service was at 1 o'clock. We're standing in the office. Walt Briggs is there. Larry Allen's there. And we're just talking, and I'm doing some stuff, getting ready, frankly, for Deacon's meeting on Tuesday night. And and we're just talking, and Walt says to me, it's about a quarter of 11. He says, don't you have a funeral at 11? I said, no, it's 1 o'clock. And then I joked. I said, you know, 11 has a 1 in it. I head to my computer as quick as I can get there to check the website to see what time that service is. And before I get to the computer website, I get a phone call. It's 3 after 11. Jill says, are you on your way yet? I said, why? She said, the service is at 11. Oops. First time to my recollection that I've done that in 40 plus years of ministry. But I did it. I walked in and her mom says, and I know her mom, and she says, who are you? And I said, hi, I'm late. 
You know, you ever hear of anybody being late for their own funeral? Well, I won't be late for mine, but I was late for this one. It happens, right? Took some maturity to forgive me. Get past that. What can't you get past in your life? What just bugs you and irks you because of what other people do that distracts you? Does love cover a multitude of sins? Huh? Or are we still being childish? Not happens to me. I know what happens to you. But when I was a child, I recognized I needed to grow up. So how do we continue in growth? Verse 13, these three. Now abides faith, hope, love. These three, but the greatest of these is love. Faith looks back. Hope looks ahead. Love looks around. Faith will become sight and hope will be fulfilled, but love is for now and forever. It is love that energizes our faith and hope. Right? Now, I needed an H for growth, right? So I need you to look back at verse 12 of 1 Corinthians chapter 13. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am known. Perfect love will happen when we get to heaven. Amen? I'm looking forward to that. And I will know and understand and recognize what love is all about when I see my nail-scarred Savior. I will finally have some kind of idea about agape, self-sacrificing, self-giving love when I see the scar of the spear in his side. I will finally comprehend what should have been in my life all along when I look at Jesus and see my Savior face to face. Amen? So let's grow in love. Hmm? It's a challenge, I'm telling you. It's, it's a challenge. But Jesus said, by this shall all men know you're my disciples if you do what? Yeah, oh, boy, I wish he'd have said something else. But he didn't. He said, if you have love. And that is agape. If you have love, one for the other. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for truth from your word. Father, help us to have more love for you because that will give us more love for, for others. And help us to understand, Father, that it's not about who we are, about our comfort levels, 
about things going on in our lives. But help us, Lord, to recognize it's all about you and your love as you sent your son to be our Savior. Help us to see Jesus. For it's in his name we pray. Amen.